0: at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought thoughts on our show we never have uh, you know incoherent people because we screen our guests we have really cool people with great histories backgrounds some of them are authors some of them are graduates of Bowling Green State, Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Go Buckeyes. Um, he's a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, former lieutenant with his local fire department, founder of two successful startups and three global brands. Um, his products are now used by over 80,000 firefighters and uh, three of the nation's largest retailers, and this should be carried by Home Depot. Um, he is a uh, most recent venture. He's co-founded Valantra it's like Volare. Volantra, a company that focuses on hypersonic unmanned aerial systems for the US Department of Defense and low earth orbit access. That's a mouthful. Uh, he's also received the, um, the President of the United States E Award Washington from President Trump for exporting and has been honored as exporter of the year by the Ohio Small Business Administration. featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Yahoo, MSN, USA Today, a m- bunch, bunch of other local and national outlets. He's also testified in front of the U.S. House of Representatives, Small Business Committee, and was named Entrepreneur of the Year by Governor John Kasich. Uh, he's been elected by the Obama White House as one of the 10 entrepreneurs to represent the U.S. at the Global Entrepreneur Summit. Summit. His book, Warrior Entrepreneur, was released in late 2021 and became number one on Amazon in several different countries. It focuses on how warrior traits can help entrepreneurs, leaders in other battles through adversity and accomplish their missions. He lives in Hilton Head Island, close to us, and was formerly a Councilman in Ohio, Wyoming, Ohio, which is actually near Cincinnati. So it is uh, with great pride, and we're just just shy of uh, Veterans Day here to thank uh, Zachary Green to the show today. Man, I am uh, what, what a mouthful, what, a, what an introduction, Zachary. Great to have you on the show.
1: Well, Doug, thank you so much. It truly is an honor to get a chance to speak with you and your audience. <laughs>
0: Wow. Well, I don't know where to go. We can start with low earth orbit access satellites. It's not hypersonic unmanned. I thought the hypersonic missile thing was just for China. I didn't know we had it too. Maybe we don't talk about it. I don't know.
1: Well, we don't have it. That's the problem. So okay. uh, that's one of the well, things. Get on time. that,
0: would you? Get we back are, into
1: that. Yeah. I've got a, a team of some extremely smart people that are a hell of a lot smarter than me. So <laughs> I'm just kind of helping out on the business side. And they're the true rocket scientists.
0: Yeah. You know, the... Um, Again, thank you for your service. Number one and number two, the um, the veteran entrepreneurs that I know, I'm gonna just I'm I'm prejudiced, man. I I I have uh, right now three clients who are veterans, and uh, I love all my clients. Don't get me wrong. If you're listening to this and you're not a veteran, I still love you, but man, these guys, boom, 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 show up on time, pay on time, coachable, leadership qualities. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this in your in your service, and whatnot. But they make great vet the great employees and great entrepreneurs.
1: Well, that's oh, really man. the thesis of of the book that I just came out with, Warrior Entrepreneur, it and it's talking about <laughs> those intangible traits, not the tangible ones, yeah. not the stuff you specifically learn, but things mm-hmm. like dedication, teamwork, uh, grit, mission accomplishment. Those are those are really those traits that carry you from. Mm-hmm. Your time in the military to being successful in entrepreneurship, which I can tell you, hands down, way more difficult than being in the Marine Corps. Way more difficult than being in the fire service. I've never experienced anything that's taken me my knees uh, like uh, having been an entrepreneur.
0: You think entrepreneur is more difficult than being a Marine or a firefighter?
1: Without question, not even in the interesting. same.
0: Interesting. That's interesting. Okay. And well, I feel I feel better because. Have... <laughs>
1: In the Marine Corps and the Fire Service, you have a manual. Everything, literally, how to eat, how to go to the bathroom, how to sleep, (laughs) it's all in the manual. And you also have a team of people that have been around for hundreds of years that are the absolute top of the top. And you also got a quality of people, the screening process to get in between the academic, emotional, Mm -hmm. physical Mm -hmm. uh, things that need to be done. Entrepreneurship, it is a whiteboard. There is absolutely no documents. There. There's nothing. I mean, we're just now starting to have entrepreneurial classes in college. Yeah. Um, and then the problem becomes is we don't have money. You know, as an entrepreneur, it, it's, it's difficult. So the people you hire sometimes aren't the best people. They're just yeah. people. And um, yeah. that right there was, was really the biggest learning experience for me when I started my entrepreneurial journey.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you a question for the, uh, the listeners who are watching this and listening um you know you're a veteran you're an entrepreneur you've got great credentials is what's what's going to keep people watching us the next 20 minutes what are some specific things we're going to talk about that they really need to know as far as an entrepreneur
1: well I'd like to share with you without having to go through Paris Island or boot camp or go through the fire training the things that I learned and my brother and sister Warriors learned that can make you not just a successful entrepreneur but successful in life. When the book started the process, I thought it was gonna be just for entrepreneurs. And as I started to write it, I realized, wow, there's just so much more here through this entrepreneurial warrior journey that, that all of us can learn. And it really comes down to one simple trait, and that is adversity. Now, that was not initially my hypothesis, but what I learned is it's the resistance that makes you grow. Think about when you're working out, you're using weights to cause stress and adversity into your muscles and those fibers, and you're causing them actually to explode. And then when they reassemble themselves, they get stronger. The same thing happens in entrepreneurship. Those early days that are so difficult where you don't have a great team and you're trying to put that stuff together, that is preparing you ultimately for your crucible. And we all have a crucible at some point in time in our life. It could be uh, an issue in business, getting fired, the company going um, bankrupt. It could be losing uh, your biggest customer. It could be a health issue. It could be a divorce. There's a whole lot of things. And that adversity helps you prepare you for that crucible because at the bottom of the crucible is the abyss. And as the great philosopher Nietzsche once said, if you stare long enough into the abyss, eventually the abyss will stare back at you. And that means the abyss has consumed you. So we have to recognize and honor that that abyss is there. The abyss represents failure, represents defeat. It represents giving up and say, we're going to know it's there, but we're not going to spend too much time because if you spend too much time there, that's when depression sets in, you start feeling sorry for yourself. And we're going to go back and use all those things we learned, those warrior traits to help battle through that crucible. The final thing is we have to change as we come out of that crucible if we don't make a change, we're going to end up there again. And in my case, the change was I needed to hire a CEO. I thought I could handle it. I thought I could put it together. And I was a tremendous and I am a tremendous entrepreneur. But when it comes to a 10 something million dollar a year business, it's a very different skill set than starting a business out of the trunk of your car. And it wasn't until I almost went bankrupt, almost lost my house and foreclosure, in my business that I recognized I got to make a change. So I not only stepped down the CEO, brought in a good, high-powered CEO, I had to make some personnel changes, some other changes, and the company just absolutely flourished after, after, after that crucible and those changes that I ended up making.
0: Yeah, I've talked to a couple of people in law enforcement and military, and I'm a private pilot myself. And we, One thing I'm curious about in terms of the crucible and and that adversity is the training that you do ahead of time. You know, because muscle memory—if you're in a you know fight or flight situation—you don't want to fight. You want to be able. To, you want to be able to be calmly address the situation. You know, have that that calm response as opposed to the Olympic brain oh run away response. I know That's it was good. done in military and firefight. I'm sure you're trained to not run away from the fire, but run into it. Right.
1: It's funny you say that. There's a whole chapter on my book specifically about the science of adversity, the sympathetic parasympathetic system, limbic brain, which is that part of your brain that you don't think about. It just kind of reacts. And there's a couple of things there. First of all, repetition. Um, everything I learned in the military, it was repetition, repetition, same thing as a pilot. What is that checklist you're doing before you actually start to take off and you put it together? That repetition is going to start causing these synapses to really get nice and fluid as they come together. But recognizing as a warrior, there's a couple of things you have to do. First of all, you have to process a very large volume of information very quickly and then prioritize what you want to focus on. And that can't be something you have to sit down and take time. And most people would get really nervous and they get kind of locked up with that. You know, they say there's fight or flight. There's some interesting studies out there that's saying it's fight, flight, and actually a third one, which is freeze. Although I think the the freeze is kind of part of that um, flight situation. So what happens is your brain starts to release these chemicals to get you ready for that fight. It's going to help your breathing. It's going to have more oxygen go to your brain. Your blood uh, pressure is going to increase to cause more blood to flow through the body. Your, your pupils will start to dilate. And what you learn after a while is, is you learn how to, to use that as a tool. I can tell you for me, my Zen moment when I am the most focused and the most literally super aware of what's going on is when I'm sitting in the back of a fire truck and we're flying down the road with the sirens going and there's flames shooting out of the house and people are screaming. Most people would say, whoa, I'm not going to, that, that's my Zen place. And if you've ever been in a car accident, if you've ever been in a really, really significant emergency, they always talk about how it slows down. That is actually your body's way of trying to get the superpowers to absorb everything that's happening in this emergency situation. We can apply that to business too. Let me give you a perfect example. You're walking into a a major pitch to go into the VC and you find out right before you walk in there that one of the VCs um, has worked with you in the past and they don't like you and they're gonna poison the whole entire uh, rest of the VCs. Or maybe you have a situation where you forget your PowerPoint and it crashes. At that point in time, you have those decisions, fight, flight, or freeze. And by training and practicing and having that level of confidence, you're able to push through whatever that crucible is and and also become stronger because you're going to definitely have a secondary uh, opportunity to do that presentation. Maybe you're going to have two thumb drives, a second computer. You're going to have maybe email it to somebody ahead of time. So I always tell people embrace those areas, that sickness you get to your stomach, eventually it will go away. Your body is incredible the way that it protects and and defends those things. and, And it really helps you get into that warrior mindset. But before you get there, you have to experience the adversity. And just one last thing to kind of put a bow around this. Let's take two kids, one kid, very wealthy family, very nice white collar community they grew up in. They start to play soccer and they don't get a lot of playing time. And the the father and mother call the coach up and yell at them, hey, put my kid in. The kid gets a participation trophy. The kid goes off to a really nice college. And then as soon as they get challenged, they say, you know what, I'm, I'm getting triggered. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I need a safe space. And then they get out into the real world. Let's take another kid. He grew up maybe in a bad part of town, maybe didn't have a father. Mom was working two or three jobs just to be able to make ends meet. He struggled his whole way through high school, getting in trouble, things are happening. He gets to college, has to work three jobs just to be able to pay enough for the tuition. He gets to that same job. Now all of a sudden our our boss sits us down and tells us something. Hey, you really screwed this project up. I'm really angry with you. This is a real serious problem. The first kid's going to be crushed. They're going to have to go home. They're going to have to take a couple of personal days. The second kid's going to be like, brush it off their shoulders hey this is nothing i can handle it because they're a warrior mindset and they were able to embrace that adversity even though they may not think it was a good thing at the time it was making them unbreakable to the point where they knew nothing that could be
0: thrown at them would stop them Uh, the training for it so you you were able to train for it in you know fire department and military but you said but you still said that entrepreneur was like much more difficult than than those two professions, did the, did the warrior mindset translate right away? Or did you have to like reframe it somehow?
1: No, I mean, it's the intangibles. I mean, the stuff I learned in the military, especially yeah. in the Marine Corps infantry, I really can't use those in the civilian world without getting arrested. Um, but what happened <laughs> was is um, the first six months, this concept of mission accomplishment before troop welfare is a real hallmark of the Marine Corps. The concept in the fire service where we say we can't dial 912 after you guys dial 911. When we show up, we have to solve the problem, put the fire out. There is nobody else coming. Um, I was selling product out of the trunk of my car. I was using QuickBooks. I was doing light assembly and manufacturing. I was waiting in line at the post office, getting everything ready. I made five thousand bucks. You know, great. Yeah. Then I went to this trade show. And we had a soccer tent uh, that we literally put together with duct tape and zip ties. We had cardboard signs. We wrote on them with Sharpies and next to us is Honeywell and MSA and all these big billion dollar companies with their hundred thousand dollars booths. I had a line of over a hundred people deep, almost the entire show. There were so many people in line for our booth that the other booths came over at the end of the show and thanked us for the amount of crowds we had. And what was the the product. Well, it was this glow-in-the-dark material that I invented to help firefighters see each other in the dark. When I started my business, I actually got lost in the fire. And I developed this incredible glow-in-the-dark material that would go on your helmets and on your tools and on your gear. And the tent was there to have a dark areas to show people. Nice. And what, what happened is there's this concept of what's behind door number three, you know, what's behind sure. that dark tent. Yeah. And people kept wanting to go out. And everyone that would come out, their eyes would be real wide. I booked $100,000 in sales in almost three days. And everyone's like, Zach, you gotta stop taking sales. This is ridiculous. Cause I didn't have enough money to buy the raw materials. I didn't have a manufacturing uh, process <laughs> to be able to put that together. Uh-huh. I had no infrastructure. And I was like, you know what? I'm a Marine. I can accomplish this mission. I will figure Pick it, it out. out one way or the other. As soon as I got home, I refinanced my house, maxed out my credit cards, started taking sure. loans from friends and family. Finding new distributors. The most of the distributors, they want their money up front, or not distributors, manufacturers.
0: Yeah, right.
1: You know, yeah. I've got customers that are municipalities. They're paying me net 60, net 90. So the yeah. flow of that money, yeah. you know, if it's 100 bucks, it's one thing. But in my case, it was tens of thousands of dollars. Right. I figured it out. And the next trade show, I got a little smarter. I started to build up more inventory. I was able to talk yeah. to people. I was able to work with the venture capitalists. So then when the pandemic hit, and we all of a sudden were getting orders in excess of 10 million dollars for plexiglass. Whoa. I had already experienced all these things over the last decade. I knew how to work the deals and call in favors and have this. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we became a Home Depot's number one distributor of COVID protective products during the pandemic because we were able to pivot and work with our distributors and be creative with our financing and be creative with the way yeah. that we were able to put all the plexiglass barriers together.
0: Amazing. I will, you know, as I'm traveling around the past year or so, I'm looking at all the plastic bears. Like, where did those all come from? I guess now I know. So <laughs> they're coming from you. Well,
1: they they, they um they were not a big deal before the pandemic, and then when yeah. the pandemic started, it became a big deal. We actually bought some of them, and uh, the broker we were using almost doubled the price because when you're buying products overseas, you don't really technically pay for them until they hit the dock and and, and clear mm-hmm. customs. And we were able to negotiate a deal with them to buy multiple future orders at the original discounted price now it was a gamble um it was a bold gamble because we would have absolutely been out of business had they called Mm. all the CEOs in and we not didn't have the customers if the pandemic was over in two or three weeks i'd be looking for a different company right now to work for or start but The opposite happened, and that's yeah. what you do in the Marine Corps. You gotta be bold. You gotta make those big moves. Like there, there's a great saying that uh, Teddy Roosevelt had, one of my absolute favorite quotes of all time. He said, "When you're faced with a monumental decision, the best thing to do is the right thing. The next best thing to do is the wrong thing, but the worst thing to do is to do nothing." And in the Marine Corps, even if you mess up, as long as you're making forward progress, you'll never get in trouble. But if you do nothing or you back up. That's when the real big trouble happens.
0: I was when I was in college, um, I studied film school, but my college roommate he was not a film guy. He was uh, um, he was more military, but he wasn't a military. When he got out of college, he joined law enforcement, He became a sheriff in L.A. County, and he told me that back in college. He goes, "Doug, you're lamenting over things. So make a decision. The, the worst, the worst. What you just said is like no decision is a decision, and it's the wrong one." I'm like, "All right." <laughs> because you know a concept of, of a
1: yeah. fail forward and you don't have that opportunity in corporate America because corporate America is run by middle level managers, middle level managers in corporate America have really one job, not screw anything up. They're simply trying to get to that next ring. So to get them to be innovative, to take that risk, that's not a good thing. They want to just kind of leave things alone and not push it. Now, the very senior guys, those guys can push it that's one of the issues that i've always had working in corporate america which i did for decades and 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 one of the things that the new company that i'm in the process of putting together called warrior framework where we go in and train companies how to have that innovation of an entrepreneur but still that accountability of the military it's all about making those risks failing as much as you can as quickly as you can to find out what not to do and oh and be okay with that failure because that's where innovation happens but we get so nervous and we're so scared of making a mistake that what happens is we do nothing and, and it's just very difficult for us to innovate if we don't have that permission to fail forward if you will
0: so it's a, it's a hot topic and i you know it's so much easier when you're a small company and it's just you like okay i'm gonna go ahead and try this thing you know i'm gonna go ahead and do it at what point does it become a big company you know you're doing a million bucks you're a ceo you own it no big deal and you got a you know what you said 10 million dollar company so what at what point does it become, what point does it slow down for most companies? You know,
1: for me, the, the the turning point for me wasn't the big decisions. It was the multitude of small decisions. And I did not empower the people that I worked with. Half the reason was they weren't really competent enough to do it. The other half was I was a control freak, still am technically. Um, and so having all those decisions have to be funneled to me. And the big decisions were easy for me to make. It's a million small decisions. Hey, should we switch this phone service from this one to this one? Hey, should we go from FedEx to UPS because we can save a dollar here? Hey, should we change our parking situation so we can do this? That was the point that got overwhelming to me. And and I think to answer your question, it's when you can start to empower your teams to make those decisions, that's really the transfer between being a small business and, and a one or two person shop and really getting to that next level and 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 most entrepreneurs can never make that change because as the founder as the person that's starting this it's very difficult to give that up the best analogy i was given is having being an entrepreneur and having a company that you start is like having a kid and the reality is if you keep your kid at home at 25 years old don't let them get out in the real world don't let them make mistakes don't let them do things you're not being a really good parent at a certain point you have to tell your kids all right man i'm kicking you out of the house you're you're getting out of the nest you're going to either fly or you're going to flop down on the ground but you know i've done enough and and that's something that um, a lot of companies struggle to do especially when the founder is directly involved in the day-to-day operations
0: it's, it's so true you know my own, I have a, my have my company small you, got, you know eight people full time with us and my own staff found found a point where I'm like why are you doing this, Doug? This is art. Like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I need to get out of, out of operations because I'm more in marketing and strategy. So they, they reminded me of that. And I removed myself from a bunch of conversations, which was, you know, like, what, one of the, my favorite sayings in leadership is great leaders create other leaders. And you know, that's just Absolutely. A, a fundamental. Yeah. John
1: Maxwell is, is really good about that. If you ever read any of John Maxwell's books, um, very, very good stuff there. You know, what I always tell people is, look, you'll never find anybody that does as good a job as you, period. It's not going to happen. But if you can get someone that does 60% as good as you do or 70% as good as you do and you hire two of them, guess what? They're doing 30 or 40% more than you can. Now you hire three or four of them. Now all of a sudden they're doing hundreds of percent above what you could do yourself. So it's okay that no one's going to love it as much as you and be as good as you. You just got to find people that that can get as close as you can to that level. And then it just becomes a numbers game. You you put enough people out there because eventually those decisions and those things become so overwhelming that one person just can't process it. And that's when you start to develop into what we call in the military span of control. The span of control really is only about four people. Um, A lot of people say, oh, you can get 10 people. No, you can't. Once you start getting above four, maybe five people then you need to develop another manager for that next team because then it gets really challenging. But as long as your span of control is I can control four people, each of them control four people, each of them can control four people. Now all of a sudden I can manage a team of several hundred people and still keep that span of control of who, who my circle is that I'm directly working with and, and inspiring and teaching them to be leaders
0: thank you lieutenant for that uh that advice i totally i totally get it i'm not a veteran but i understand that hierarchy has a a definite purpose but you can't you have to have a a span of control i love that yeah i gave my my project managers in charge of those four people perfect okay i'm doing okay you have a copy of your book you hold up huh
1: 10 is too much
0: yeah yeah
1: all right sorry about that I lost you there
0: yeah I just I just want to see you hold up the, the book oh, cover if you got it oh yeah, yeah.
1: so here is the book uh, warrior entrepreneur um, just came out a couple of weeks ago we made it to uh, number one status on um, Amazon and entrepreneurship small business in a couple of different countries this the book is really divided into three sections the first section is we talked about was kind of that science of adversity and talking the ways that how we can hone that skill. The next one is actually my story. Now, I don't have a whole chapter of just me. I kind of weave it in and out. But the real meat and potatoes of this book, and the reason that this book is such an enjoyable uh, read, is there's just a bunch of short stories. You don't need to read this book page to page to page in one setting. You can just say, hey, I need a little inspiration today on serenity or some inspiration on leadership or inspiration on perseverance or grit. And you can read pages in those books where some of the stories are you know, 10, 15 pages long, some are just a paragraph. And I interview entrepreneurs, warriors. I, I interview one of, the, one of the most amazing people I get to interview in the book was the very first ever fem, female Marine infantryman. She was born in a Siberian Russian prison. You talk about someone that grew up from the time she was taking her first breath of air around adversity and challenge, and she was the first ever Marine in the history of the Marine Corps as a female to be an infantryman. Those are those stories that are going to inspire you and be able to talk. We talk about the founder of Ramen Noodles and how he was bankrupt four or five times till he finally perfected the, the Ramen Noodle. We talk about Elon Musk, Walt Disney, all these people, Thomas Edison, the ways that they have kind of taken that same journey that those warriors have, from that resistance and failure, and being able to learn from it, and eventually uh, progress and 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 do great things in in the world. and And the hope of this book is, you don't have to be a business owner, you don't have to be an entrepreneur. I think the true warrior is that state, is that mom that's working two or three jobs just to kind of help make ends meet. They have that warrior attitude of, a, I'm not going to be defeated no matter what happens. And be whatever you throw at me, I'm not going to use that as a way to make me weaker. I'm going to learn from it and use it as a way to make me stronger and accomplish whatever my missions uh, that come up in the future will be.
0: Zachary, you are the man. How do people get a hold of you? So easiest way is
1: email ZacharyLGreen at gmail.com. Okay. Check that regularly. I'm on LinkedIn. Again, Zachary L. Green. And then you can also buy the book on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble's, pretty much anywhere books are sold. If you'd like me to personalize the book for you, you can go directly onto my website, which is warriorentrepreneurbook.com. And um, I'm more than happy to go ahead and sign a copy for you and um, talk to you about it. Outstanding.
0: Warriorentrepreneurbook.com, folks. Get this thing. It sounds like a winner. You are a sharp and engaging guy. I'd love to have you back on the show again sometime.
1: Doug, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do for all all our other fellow entrepreneurs and and business uh, leaders out
0: there. You bet. Thanks so much. All right. We'll see you later. Have a great day. And don't forget to click the subscribe button below on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, whatever you want. And uh, there's some goodies there for you when you do. This is Doug Crow with the Author Brand Show.